Welcome once again to the Dipshit Files. I'm Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Scriptkeeper. And this week it's number 46. We have dug into a lot of files. And this is Ask Keyhole. Is that his name? <laughs> He's a mass murderer named Ask Keyhole, the bath face dipshit. Yep, all those things, yes. All right. What's his name? Andrew Kehoe. Okay, and he was a dipshit. He was fucking terrible. He's one of the worst of all time. Yeah, he's pretty bad. Okay. Well, I, I wouldn't say all time, but yeah, this story this story got me right in the feels. And uh, it's it's a tough one because it deals with children. Uh, I know. But, uh, yeah, the guy is fucking terrible. Okay. Yeah. Well, but there's no redeeming quality for <laughs> no, him. No. All right. Let's just fucking put some rubber gloves on and get our yeah. fucking... Open up yet another dark as fuck dipshit fun. The territory of Michigan was established in 1805, and when the Erie Canal was completed in 1825, white settlers began coming into the area looking for a brighter future. The land was divided up into counties, and Clinton County was born. The first schoolhouse was built in 1840, and at the time, it was common to have a bunch of small schoolhouses all over, so that children didn't have to walk far to get to school. The land was divided further into townships, and in the spring of 1843, Bath Township was formed. If you thought a Bath House was interesting, Bath Town <laughs> throws down. It's good times, just robes and sandals. Uh, and, uh, now, Andrew right. Kehoe was upset that the community wasn't operating the way he wanted things to operate. More bathhouses. He tried to make changes, but nobody in town seemed to agree with his ideas. Once he had nothing left to lose, he exacted his revenge on the entire town. So he's a complete piece of shit narcissist. So basically he threw a big, ugly, nasty fit. Okay. Yeah. And it was terrible. Okay. May 18th, 1927 was the last day of school for students who attended the Bath Consolidated School in Bath Township, Michigan. The 15 seniors who attended the school were not in the building that day. They had taken their final exams the previous week and weren't due back to the school until the next day for their graduation ceremony. Despite this, there were still about 250 students in the school. Classes began at 8.30 a.m., and that day there was an electrical issue that kept the electrical bells from ringing. So the principal rang a large gong in the main hallway to signal the start of class. Hidden in the basement of the school was an alarm clock that was ticking away. At exactly 8.45, the clock's alarm went off, triggering a stockpile of explosives that had been hidden inside the school. Yeah. The entire north side of the building jumped off its foundation and then came crashing back down. Holy shit. The roof collapsed into the building, crushing everything underneath. Neighbors heard a loud boom, and some thought that the oil barrels at the train station might have exploded. But when they went outside... They saw half of the school was missing. Everyone within the earshot of the blast ran to the school to help. At the same time, other people were also looking at an explosion, but this one was not at the Bath School. This one happened at a nearby farm owned by a man named Andrew Kehoe. Kehoe. Now, Andrew Kehoe was born on February 1st, 1872 in Tecumseh, Michigan. He was one of 12 children born to Philip Kehoe and... 
a number of wives. Phyllis Kehoe. <laughs> now, Philip was first married to a woman named Mary Mellon in 1858, who had two daughters before she died. Do you say her name was Mary Mellon? Yes. Now, okay. well, let's just let's just linger on that. For a <laughs> Mary Mellon. That's a good one. Now, right. two and a half years later, in 1864, Philip married his second wife, Mary McChesticles, Mary McGovern, <laughs> and they had nine more children before she died Whoa. in 1890. Philip was a successful stock breeder of cattle, sheep, and hogs, and People. it earned him a spot in a local magazine when they profiled area success stories. Andrew came along after Philip had six daughters, so he got special treatment from his father. Andrew also had a strong mechanical aptitude, and he would spend most of his time in the barn experimenting with electricity, Mm. something that was fairly new at the time. Other people said that he was a loner who preferred to stick to himself. Andrew was 18 years old when his mother died of what was said at the time was a disease of the nervous system. After high school, Andrew attended Michigan State University and took classes in electrical engineering. Sometime later, he moved to St. Louis and began working as an electrician in a city park where he actually fell and sustained a head injury so serious that's said to have resulted in him being semi-conscious for like two months. So possibly some type of coma. Wow. But that's really just speculation. And eventually, he went back to his father's farm and lived there, helping with the livestock and continuing to experiment with electronics or electricity. By this time, Philip had married his third wife, Frances Wilder, and they had another daughter together. It seems as though Andrew was not a fan of his new half-sister because uh, it's said that he actually killed her cat. I know. So then on September 17th, 1910, Francis went into the house to start making dinner, his stepmother, and when she lit their brand new gasoline stove, it exploded, lighting her on fire. Now, these stoves were already incredibly dangerous, but many people believe that Andrew had a hand in making the stove catch fire. When Francis started screaming, Andrew ran into the kitchen and threw water on her. But since it was an oil fire, it caused the flames to get even worse. Now, some speculate also that Andrew and his experience with uh, electricity and his college education and all that would have known you don't throw water on an oil fire. Dick. But eventually, he and his father were able to get the fire out, and they put Francis in her bed. And then Andrew ran down the street to the only neighbor who had a telephone. That neighbor recalled Andrew opening the door and asking her to call the doctor. And when she asked if someone was hurt, he nonchalantly replied, yeah, Fanny got burned. And then he said, oh, and can you also call a priest? There was nothing that anyone could do to save Frances. Her skin was melted off and her flesh was charred all the way to the bone. Damn. She died a few hours later. Oh, damn. Now, due to the reputation of gasoline stoves bursting into flames, her death was ruled an accident. But the scuttlebutt around the area was that Andrew had played a part in that. Hmm. On May 14th, 1912, at the age of 40, Andrew married a a woman named Ellen Price, who went by the name of Nellie. Nellie was a few years younger than Andrew, and it's said that they had previously met at Michigan State University. The couple lived at the Kehoe farm and Andrew worked the land while Nellie acted as kind of a surrogate mother to Philip 
and Francis's 10-year-old daughter. Now, during the time that Andrew worked on his father's farm, he would regularly use dynamite and pyrotol to keep pirates away um, to clear the land. Now, we'll talk about what pyrotol is. It's an explosive. Mm. In 1915, Philip died, and Andrew, as the executor of his estate, remained on the farm for another two years until Nellie's uncle died, mm-hmm. and his 80-acre farm in Bath became available. Big Bath. They purchased the property for $12,000, putting $6,000 down and taking a mortgage on the other 6000 once in Bath, Andrew got things off on the right foot. A neighbor said he was always willing to do favors, to come by. He'd fix things that weren't working properly. He was just an all-around nice guy. Now, it also helped that Nellie had grown up in Bath, and many people still remembered her. They did notice uh, that Andrew was quite unorthodox with his farming technique, though. While most farmers would be at work in coveralls or overalls, uh, covered in dirt from fields or grease from the machinery, Andrew wore a business suit and dress shoes. What? And it's kind of weird. Cool. Neighbors recalled seeing, Neighbors recalled seeing him drive one of his shiny new tractors in a suit and tie. That is fucking not in the hell. There. Not a hair on his head was out of place. Huh. Now, if an article of his clothes did get dirt on it, his neighbor said he would immediately stop what he was doing, go inside, and change into clean clothes. Oh, his farm was just fucking... They're totally in the black all the time. No problem. <laughs> Andrew, I've been doing some accounting here on the farm. And you suck at farming. Despite his odd dress while tending his farm, most people agree that Andrew seemed to be a nice guy. But there were signs of his true nature. So about a year after moving to Bath, Andrew had actually shot the neighbor's dog... Because he was sick of its barking. Dude. Now, the neighbors seemed to get over it, but his wife stopped associating with Andrew or Nellie completely. Okay. Okay. Stop. You've talked about Nellie too many times for (laughs) me not to. Oh, no. Hi. We interrupt your regularly scheduled dumb fuckery to inform you that I, your host, have been extra fucking dumb this week throughout the entirety of this episode. Because I forgot that Nellie didn't sing the song I'm about to do. It was actually T-Pain and Flo Rida. And I'm going to just associate Nellie with a song that Nellie never did uh, for the next fucking hour. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And, you know, you can make fun of me in the comments. That's fine. That's something I deserve. Now let's get back to me being a dumb fucking asshole. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know? This makes the day a little better, doesn't it? Come on. No. 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 Right. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. Let's put it off the cell phone. I didn't even do production values on that one. Yep. T-Pain and Flo Rida. I know that. You don't have to send me emails. I'm aware. You can if you'd like. I deserve it. I think I was looking for country grammar. My bad. I think my brain was going for this kind of vibe. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This would have been a little bit, you know, more, uh, you know, kind of what I was going for, right? All right. So, anywho, uh, yeah, prepare for that song quite a bit. Here we go. We went right straight to the cell phone technology of through <laughs> right. the microphone. All right. Well, Good God. Now, where was I? We're skipping ahead now. Oh, 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 that's right. Okay, so the first school... Now i got to get my bearings about myself again. The first school in Bath was a one-room log cabin that taught kids of all ages in the same place. Eventually, the school burned down and a new one was built. 
It wasn't long before there were 10 different smaller schoolhouses around the community, but people thought it might be better to build one large school where the children could be broken up by age and the lessons could be fine-tuned to those ages. So more like schools like what we have now. Of course, the locals had questions. I mean, how would the kids get to school? Who would feed them? And of course, who was going to pay for all this? A state official came to town to explain the process on July 22nd, 1921, and after it was put to a vote, the referendum passed. Funding from the school would come from property taxes. They would move the largest of the current schoolhouses to a new central location Mm -hmm. and add on to that. And then they would set up a bus system to pick up the children and take them to school where they would be fed school lunch. They hired an administrator, a principal, and, of course, teachers. The school opened in the fall of 1922 with 236 students. After three years of operation, the school became accredited, which meant it would now be eligible for state and federal funding and grants. But people in the area were still upset about the raise in taxes. And also the fact that they were feeding kids, but it was just cat meat. That was probably not the best one. It was weird. One of the most vocal of them... Sometimes horse. One of the most vocal of these people was Andrew Kehoe. He decided to take action when the school board treasurer was up for re-election. Andrew ran against him and won the election. Once Mm. sworn in, Andrew demanded that the school superintendent... Emery Hewick not attend any of the school board meetings. Andrew felt that Emery was trying to have more control than he should. The school board told Andrew that he was actually required to be there in order to receive state funding. Andrew couldn't force the superintendent out of the meetings, but he told him he couldn't be involved. Emery could only sit there and listen. Then Andrew made Emery the focus of all of his disdain. When the superintendent requested a summer vacation, Andrew was the only one who voted no. Despite his contentious relationship with Emery, as treasurer, Andrew's books were always in perfect order. Because of that, he was appointed to the position of township clerk when the current clerk passed away. He only finished out her term and then had to run again for the position during the next election cycle. And he was only able to do that if he was nominated, which he wasn't. Mm. Despite his fastidious bookkeeping skills, his confrontational nature caused the officials to nominate someone else. This was the first blow to Andrew that would send him down the path to revenge. In the summer of 1926, Nellie started developing health issues. She was having severe headaches followed by a nasty cough and rapid weight loss. She started... (laughs) Sorry about that. And here's another reminder I'm a fucking moron, T-Pain, Flo Rida. God damn it. Put your phone down. (laughs) She started going to the hospital where doctors first thought she might have tuberculosis, but then decided it was just asthma. After that, she became nearly bedridden. They hired a young woman to help out around the house since Nellie wasn't able to do much. Put it down. Put it down. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yep, huge D-bag. No need to email me. I know. You can, though. It's fucking fair. I won't do it every time. I. Uh-huh. Andrew's method of keeping books for the school board did not match his own finances at home, though. After purchasing the farm from his wife's... <laughs> Sorry. No, 
Now you're probably starting to see why I put these in here. Because this stupid joke goes throughout the entirety of the show. And holy fuck, we're not going to re-record the show, so I'm just a moron for the rest of it. <laughs> After purchasing the farm from his wife's uncle's estate, because I can't say her name. Sure can. He made a few payments. I he made a few payments and then completely stopped. He actually hadn't made a mortgage payment since March of 1921. The mortgage was set up directly between Andrew and the Price family using a lawyer. So where a bank would have taken the property back by now, the Price family gave him an extension and then another one and then another one. He had lived on the property for nearly four years without making a payment. Damn. By the end of 1926, though, the lawyer was not willing to let the Kehoes live on the farm for free, and he filed a notice of foreclosure. When the sheriff served the notice to Andrew, he claimed that the man said that he would have paid his mortgage if it hadn't been for the, all the school taxes. He's oh. already taking blame away from himself. Mm -hmm. With failures piling up around him, Andrew began planning a final act of retribution against the people that he believed had ruined his whole life. Mm -hmm. In October of 1926, Andrew asked a neighbor to drive him to a nearby town to pick up some pyrotol. Now, pyrotol is a low-grade explosive that was made from surplus gunpowder that was left over from World War I. The manufacturer wanted to sell off its extra supplies, and the Department of Agriculture wanted to help farmers prepare their land for crops. So, the two came together and uh -huh. developed an, ex an inexpensive explosive for them to use. I love it when government and businesses come together <laughs> and just work together, and there's nothing that ever happens uh, that's so bad about that. Ever. The farmers could blast a stump or a large boulder in their field with pyrotol and make it easier to remove the smaller pieces. It was said that a six-ounce stick of pyrotol was as powerful as an eight-ounce stick of dynamite for a fraction of the price. A farmer could clear an acre of tree stumps with dynamite, which would cost him $8.75, but could do the same thing with pyrotol for $7.28. Of course, okay, so before you start thinking it's crazy that people were able to cruise into a farm supply and pick up a <laughs> crate of pyrotol. Sounds like the good old days. <laughs> They were also able to just walk in and pick up dynamite as well. Yeah, in fact, why not? Yeah, the, the 20s were a wild And heroin. Time. I think you could just get heroin, too. It was a wild and crazy time. God damn, man. Welcome to Bag of Richard's General Store. <sighs> need something? Yes, I'd like some raw milk. Got it. I need a mattress with the tag removed. Got it. I need some heroin. We've got cherry and corset flavor for the ladies. Yeah, I'll take the cherry. Mm. And I'm a sucker for these impulse items. Mm. I'll take this candy bar Gosh. and this gum yep. and this Tommy gun. Excellent. Ooh, and how much is that cannon that shoots botulism? Andrew and his neighbor picked up up 500 pounds of pyrotol and some blasting caps before heading back to the farm where his neighbor figured he was just going to do some land clearing. After dropping Andrew and his pyrotol off, the neighbor ran into some other locals who said that they had some stumps they needed to remove. And when they found out that Andrew had just purchased 10 boxes of the explosive, they tracked him down and asked if he had any to spare. Andrew said that it was already all gone. 500 pounds of explosives were already gone, and that really seemed odd. In the four years since the Kehoes had moved to Bath... He was like, it was delicious. It was, Sorry. yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So in the four years since the Kehoes had moved to Bath, they never owned a vehicle. They relied on their neighbors to give them rides to places like the grocery store or to pick up 500 pounds of explosives. You know, normal yeah. everyday errands. Yeah, yeah. In November, though, Andrew purchased a flatbed pickup truck, which so he can seemed, get his own 500 pounds of explosive. Right, which seemed like an understandable purchase at the time. So even though automobiles, which 
were actually referred to in the 20s. They were referred to as machines. I'm sure the manual will indicate which lever is the velocitator and which the deceleratrix. Hmm? They were still not commonplace. Having a machine on your farm was a useful resource. Once he had the truck, he drove to Lansing, where he purchased two boxes of Hercules Dynamite plus blasting caps. Welcome to Lansing Larry's Lawlessness Emporium and Taxidermy. Yeah. Need something? Yeah, I'll take three of those Gatling guns, okay. six drums of mustard gas, All right. and that catapult that shoots cats. Excellent choice. Yeah, also, do you have fishing rods mm. with bayonets on them? You fucking know it. Though his neighbors thought he bought the truck for the farm, it's believed the purchase was actually made so he could pick up more explosives on his own mm. to reduce the questions. Right, my joke was... Stupid. Uh, well, no, you were right. Yeah, so well, it, you were correct. But I was glib about it, so uh, I should be punished. Well, it was true. Well, I am very smart. If he... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> if he had asked his neighbor to take him to Lansing to pick up dynamite... Boy, this, this script is just great, isn't it? <laughs> if he'd asked his neighbor to take him to Lansing to pick up dynamite, he would have been suspicious. Mm-hmm. I mean, why he needed that on top of 500 pounds of pyrotol. He would eventually make more trips to pick up more pyrotol and more dynamite again and again. Wow. Just collecting the yeah, whole just, set. Yeah, the whole, th- yeah, all of it. I want all that stuff. I want all the remnants of World War I shit. Give, <laughs> so, me, give me all of it. So on December 31st, when the clock struck midnight, people in the quiet community raised their glasses and then there were then they were startled by a series of explosions. It was a minute where it sounded like the town was actually under attack, and then everything fell silent. A few days later, some neighbors stopped by and asked Andrew about these explosions. Andrew explained that he wanted to ring in the new year with a literal bang. Haha. <laughs> so he rigged some pyrotol to a cheap alarm clock to set to go off at midnight. Mm-hmm. The neighbors thought it was kind of an excessive way to celebrate. I've had neighbors like that. (laughs) I think we all have. But what they didn't know is that Andrew had just found an excuse to test out the timer for his explosives. Throughout the new year, Nellie's health continued to get... (laughs) I'm ready for you. Oh my gosh. Tea, pain, and Florida. And we're only halfway through the show. (laughs) I'm not um, unprepared. Nellie's health continued to get worse. <laughs> she went back to the farm. What? I'm 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 not stopping now. I'm stopping. She went back at uh, fuck. She went back and <laughs> forth between the farm and the hospital multiple times. You're messing me up here. Okay. So she's going back from the farm to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Neighbors noticed that Andrew wasn't tending to the farm. The tractor sat idle and the fields were just overgrown. Mm. In the spring of 1927, Andrew was nominated for the position of County Justice of the Peace, but he was defeated by a large margin. They knew he sucked. Although Andrew didn't show any anger at this loss, it just added to the overwhelming feeling that the people of Bath were against him. Cars in the 1920s still had to be hand-cranked to get them started. In Michigan, though, the cold weather made this a difficult task, so people started to hook a device to their engine called a a hotshot battery. Hmm. This would create a spark to ignite the engine. I thought that was kind of interesting. Very cool. I'd never heard of that before. Now that Andrew owned a machine, it wasn't odd to see that he had purchased a few of these from the automotive supply store during the first week of May 1927. On May 14th, a construction crew working on a bridge reported a large supply of dynamite had been stolen from their worksite. It is believed that it was taken by Andrew. People in Bath noticed that Andrew was starting to act 
stranger than normal, not tending his farm, trying to get neighbors to take his horses, and setting off explosives on New Year's Eve. But people knew that Nellie wasn't doing well and thought that the stress... <laughs> yeah, that's not Nellie at all. Nope. Nellie wasn't doing well, and they thought the stress was probably affecting Andrew's psyche. What they didn't know is that Andrew had been on a downward spiral mentally, and he'd been planning a final act of revenge for quite some time. During the previous summer break, the school board had Andrew do some electrical work in the schoolhouse. They, he had access to every part of the school and was able to start planning out the exact details of this plan. Here we go. During the end of 1926 into 1927, Andrew loaded a massive amount of explosives into the basement ceiling at the bath school. He hid some of it in the pipes and the rest behind the plaster and wired it all together to use two hotshot batteries as a power source and alarm clock as a timer. He also placed a container of gasoline and multiple sacks of gunpowder in the basement, possibly hoping it would help ignite the remains of the school on fire. Andrew didn't only see the bath school as his enemy. He was angry at people who were trying to take his farm away from him. You know, the one that he wasn't paying for. Right. And, My farm. Right. Wow. Andrew loaded explosives into his barn and his tractor so both would be destroyed. At the beginning of May 1927, his wife was back at the hospital, and when she was released, she stated her sister Elizabeth. I didn't even say her name. Yeah, you referred to her. And that's not. You can't pull a fast one on the guy. You know, or you know, this one. This would be the one. If we remember this one. So when she was released, she stated her sister Elizabeth's house for a couple of weeks. Okay. Andrew used this time to rig the whole house with explosives. And then he set all three locations, the school, the barn, and the house to go off at the same time. Andrew was supposed to pick his wife up from Elizabeth's house in Lansing. Sorry. I'm very sorry about it. See how I just keep going and going with it? Kind of like this bit. Andrew was supposed to pick Nellie up from Elizabeth's house. <laughs> God Sorry. Damn it. I'm the only one that would thinks you, this is funny. Would you stop? But I'm fucking, I'm right there. <sighs> Andrew was supposed to pick Nellie up from Elizabeth's house in Lansing. Stop it. Put it down. <laughs> on, Sunday, <laughs> on Sunday, May 15th. But a storm had come in that and delayed the, their plans for another day. Oh. Andrew returned home with her on... <laughs> God, stop! <laughs> Andrew returned home with Nellie on Monday the 16th. It's believed child. that he killed her sometime okay, yeah, within the next funny. 24 hours, okay? He, he killed who? <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> this is this is our episode. This is the uh, instead of the friendly friends, you guys are just getting a bunch of Nelly, or as we previously discussed, a whole lot of not Nelly. Okay, so it's believed that somebody <laughs> thought that the people thought that he killed his wife okay, within that twenty-four hour period. I, I shouldn't laugh at that. Okay. So the following evening, Elizabeth called to check on her sister, but Andrew said she was at a friend's house, and that seemed really strange, seeing how sh sick she was. Then Elizabeth asked when she would be back. Put your phone down. <laughs> Where's Nellie? And 
Andrew told her he planned to pick his wife up on Thursday. Elizabeth was shocked by that response. I won't do it anymore, I promise. Quick side note, we're going to find out how much my promises actually mean. <laughs> Not my job. But there's nothing she could do, so she accepted it. And on the morning of May 18th, 1927, lightning had cracked across the sky in the early morning hours, but it cleared up by the time people began going to work. Linemen were out early climbing poles to string electrical wires along the road. Electricity was finally coming to the entire town, meaning that the residents who did have electricity could turn off their generators and start using power on demand from the local power company. Underneath the Bath School, along with hundreds of pounds of explosives, the well pump that provided water to the school wasn't working, and the janitor was waiting for a repairman that early morning. Andrew had driven into town that morning to drop off a package for delivery, and when he was walking back to his truck, he ran into a man named Albert Detloff, the town blacksmith, who was also helping with the repairs at the school. Albert mentioned the problem with the well pump and asked Andrew if he could come by and take a look. Andrew agreed, but once they got to the school, he looked at his watch and said it was 8.25. The school was about to begin, so they didn't have time. Albert looked at his own watch and corrected that it was only 7.25. They had over an hour. This was because Andrew kept his watch set at Eastern Time, which is the time zone that Michigan is in, but the school operated in Central Time. Mm. By the 1920s, time zones had been set up, but it was only the rail system that was strict about their use. People still seemed to be setting time zones however they wanted. Weird. I know. So this makes me wonder how Andrew got the alarm clock set for the correct time of the school, the start of the school day, since it seemed like he would have set it to go off an hour early, which is kind of strange. We'll probably never know. Right. After Andrew and Albert met with the janitor in the basement, they began looking at the pump, but then Andrew snapped that he was in an awful hurry and he stormed out of the basement. As he got into his truck and drove away from the school, all of the children in the community were coming out of their houses and making their way to their classrooms. They socialized with other students until the principal rang the gong to signal the start of class and they all found their seats ready to complete their final day at school before their summer break. Back at the farm, Andrew put Nellie's body into a wheelbarrow and placed it by its... I knew that was going to happen. He put his dead wife's body in a wheelbarrow and placed it by the chicken coop near the barn. Shit, I promised too. I I promised. I didn't mean to to break a promise, my bad. That's why I have trust issues. No, I know. Then he went into the barn. I'm not a good person. This is sad. So he put his wife next to the chicken coop, right? She put her, she's in a wheelbarrow. Right. Then he went into the barn and he tied his horses inside so they couldn't get out. Not only that, he used wire to tie their legs together so they wouldn't be able to get out of the barn even if they came untied. Then he started loading his truck with debris. He loaded nails and bolts and any other scrap he could find that would act as shrapnel when his truck exploded. Wow, this guy's easy to hate. At 8.45 a.m., the alarm clock in the basement of the school created a spark that caused electricity to travel down a series of wires that connected to numerous blasting caps. Mm. The area around the school was rocked by a massive explosion. The north wing of the school was forced upward by about four feet before it came back down and fell apart like a house of cards. 
Then the roof came down on top of everything. The south wing shook violently and light fixtures fell to the floor, shattering. The force of the blast caused windows in neighboring houses to blow out. People responded to the explosion by coming out of their houses to see what had happened, and once they saw the school, they raced towards it to help. Bodies were strewn everywhere. Many were dead, more were dying, and the rest were injured. The home economics teacher had a splinter of wood impaled in her shoulder. Eight-year-old Cleo Clayton managed to jump out of the window to make it to safety in front of the school. Well, at least for the time being. At the same time, while people near the school were processing this massive disaster unfolding in front of them, people near the Kehoe farm were doing the same thing. You see... Andrew had set the timers attached to the explosives in the house and the barn to go off at the exact same time as the school. One of the linemen working on the electrical wires saw the house burst into flames. He and two other workers raced to the property, and since only part of the house was on fire, they went inside to look for survivors. Now, they didn't find anyone inside, but they did find a pile of dynamite in the corner of the living room. Without even thinking, one of the electricians grabbed the dynamite and threw it out the window and into the garden. Once the smoke was too thick, they all had to leave the house. And as they were getting into their car, the barn exploded, throwing the men to the ground. The linemen got in their car and took off, but neighbors began coming out trying to see if there was anything they could do to save the farm. But everything was on fire. The house and every building on the property were fully engulfed. As neighbors stood on the road and watched Andrew's house and barn burn, he suddenly pulled up in his truck. He yelled out of the driver's seat that they should go to the school and then drove off in that direction. More and more men and women arrived at the school to help with the rescue. They dug through the rubble with their bare hands, searching every inch for anybody they could find, hoping whoever they did was still alive. The rescuers could only do so much before they reached the roof, which was now on the first floor. Despite the number of people on site, it still wasn't enough to lift the heavy structure. The man who owned the town's slaughterhouse jumped into his machine and headed to his shop to get some rope. They hoped that they could rig something up with the rope that would help them lift the roof off the floor so they could reach the victims that were trapped underneath. While the rest of the survivors made their way out of the damaged building, the school superintendent ran to the telephone office and told them to contact the police and firefighters in Lansing. They weren't able to lift the roof off with ropes, but another local suggested that they use a telephone pole to lift the roof, kind of like a lever. They drove down the street and hooked a telephone pole that actually hadn't been installed yet to the back of a car. They drug it to the school and lifted it in place so they could pry up the roof. Once they were able to raise that roof a bit, it became a slow process of extracting each of the children from the wreckage. The dead were laid out on a grassy knoll in front of the school, while the injured were laid on blankets in another area where they awaited medical treatment. In the midst of the rescue, Andrew drove his truck right up to the front of the school. Emery Hewick approached the truck and stood right next to it, talking to Andrew. Now, witnesses say they saw some sort of struggle between the two men, and then Andrew shot either a handgun or a rifle at the back of his truck, and the whole fucking thing exploded. Both Andrew and Emery were immediately killed by the blast. 
Rescuers would later say that their body parts were found in trees and yards hundreds of feet away. What was left of Andrew's body was found in a ditch down the road. The shrapnel that Andrew had put in the truck flew in every direction, killing even more people, including poor little Cleo Clayton, that boy that was able to survive the first blast by jumping out the window. Yikes. A large bolt had tore through his stomach, and he died in the hospital seven hours later. That's heartbreaking. Only minutes after Andrew set off his car bomb, dozens of firefighters arrived from Lansing, and then people from all around started showing up, including police, doctors, nurses, construction workers, members of the Red Cross, and even members of the 119th Division of the U.S. Army. They all got to work clearing the debris and treating the wounded. The fire captain went into the basement to survey the damage and stumbled across a pile of pyrotol that had fallen from the ceiling under the south wing of the school. This was only a fraction of what they would find still underneath the building. Following the wires that led from the pyrotol, the Investigators found over 300 additional sticks of unexploded pyrotol, 10 burlap sacks of gunpowder, and 204 sticks of Hercules dynamite planted throughout the building between the ceiling of the basement and the first floor of the school. It was all connected by a network of wires to the hotshot batteries and a crude timing device fashioned from an alarm clock. So he meant to blow up the entire school. Yes, for reasons nobody will know. The signal in the wire ignited the explosives under the north wing, but never made it to most of the explosives. Now, it could have been due to faulty wiring, a short in the wires, or not enough power from the batteries. But if Andrew's plan had worked, the entire school would have been completely destroyed, killing every single student and teacher inside. It would have been the worst premeditated murder of children in the history of the world. Even though a much worse massacre didn't happen, Andrew Kehoe still killed 38 children and five adults at the school, plus his wife at the farm. Without including his own suicide, he took 44 lives that day and injured 58 others. Unlike the school, all of the explosives at the farm detonated as planned. When authorities finally arrived on the scene, the house, the barn, and the tractor were all destroyed. Inside the burned-out barn were the remains of the horses with wires still tied around their legs. What the fuck? I know. How disrespectful to life can one person be? In the property's orchard, Andrew had cut around the base of all of the trees, which is actually called girdling. It's a common it's commonly done to control the growth of trees, but in this case, it was intended to destroy the trees so they couldn't be used in the future. This is the epitome of the want to watch it all burn kind of thing. I know, it's terrible. That is. Well, they also found that the grapevines, they had been cut off at the base, but carefully placed back so they looked like they were undamaged. Andrew didn't want to just harm people. He wanted to render useless anything that someone could salvage from his property. Attached to a fence on the perimeter of the property, authorities found a sign with Andrew's final message to the world. It read, criminals are made, not born. I don't know about that. So, Real quick, I just want to throw this story, real quick thing. mm -hmm. When my parents bought a house when I was a little kid, Mm -hmm. 
that's kind of how the little kids were. They set up a, a whole bunch of fucking traps for me. Oh. They were pissed that their parents sold this house. What? Because it was like a cool house. It had like a cool fucking you know, backyard and yeah. like play area and whatever. And they fucking set booby traps everywhere. Oh my God. Yeah, I hurt myself quite a bit. So and those... they peed in, and they peed in the like... Oh my gosh. So, so cool you know, budding spirial, serial killers or mass murderers right I, there. I thought they were, yeah. They probably are. <laughs> Well, this was Andrew's attempt at blaming other people for his actions. Because the town raised his taxes and didn't elect him as town clerk. (laughs) They caused him to blow up the school and kill 44 innocent kids. I mean, they made him do it. His hands were forced, right? right? Their decision to raise his taxes gave him no other choice. Just like the taxes made him not able to pay his mortgage. Everything was always someone else's fault. It just pisses me off. Yeah. He went to his grave refusing to accept the truth that he was simply a stubborn, selfish narcissist who couldn't handle not getting his way. But he did get his body parts blown around. Yeah, well, he ended up in a tree and down in a ditch. Would have been better if it was just him, though. It was was two days of searching the farm property before authorities noticed a burnt-out wheelbarrow sitting by the chicken coop. When they inspected it, they found the remains of Nellie Kehoe. She was burned down to the skeleton, and near her body was a metal box with a marriage certificate and hospital bills inside. What a fucking dick. Absolutely. Donations to fund the building of a new school came from all over. The Red Cross and other charities raised money. People sent in checks, and businesses took up collections. Some of the inmates at Michigan's Ionia Prison raised $200 for the cause. That's how bad Andrew Kehoe was. Prison inmates, including murderers and rapists, thought he was a monster. They're like, whoa, hey, I know I shot a guy robbing him, but at least (laughs) I didn't blow up a school full of fucking children. Well, the following school year, classes were held in a nearby community hall. The damaged portion of the school was cleared, and a new wing of the school was built there with donations from the community. Now, while construction was happening, more explosives were found on three separate occasions. Dude. The, the, the guy was a fucking psycho. Well, in 1975, the school was then demolished, and it's turned into a memorial park, and they actually erected a monument to memorialize all of the victims that had lost their lives. So in the research of this episode, um, you know, looking into this and, and writing this thing, I realized there have been shitty people for ages. Yeah. Like, I, probably the beginning of time for humans. I mean... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so this is pure narcissism and spite. This is fucking terrible. Yeah. So essentially, there's a, a sprinkling of dipshit potential born amongst the throng of births every day. Mm-hmm. I am, however, on the fence whether criminals are made and not born. I mean, his statement, I don't know. This is still up for a hot debate amongst uh, psychologists, behavioral uh, psychologist and that sort of thing, yeah. behavioral scientist, but just a simple fact that he could not, he just couldn't live with the fact that he didn't get his way. And it's really weird because if you think back, he was kind of a problem. There's very, there's nothing from his early childhood, but we do know uh, as a, killed animals. a grown adult, he killed his sister's cat. Yeah. And then he went on, and it's highly suspected that he that he murdered his stepmother. Right. So who knows? He seems like the kind of guy that would probably do something like that. Right. All right. Let's wrap this up with the conclusion after this musicy thing. Oh, finally, it's my turn to do something. Fine. Here's the end. Yeah. Well, that was sad. Yeah. It was a sad one to research. I right. It, yeah. There was there was um, 
right before I came in to record, I got rid of a few chunks of information um, because, I mean, I had a hard enough time talking about the death of the children, let alone talking about the details of what had happened and what people saw. Now, there's an interesting little tidbit that I discovered in my research. I think there was the last surviving person just passed away. She was either uh, 112 in 2014 when she died, or she was 114 in 2012 when she died. I can't exactly remember, but she was the last surviving person, um, and she just recently it's died a long from life that having incident. to live with this kind of thing. Although right. I'm sure she lived a nice, happy life. I hope you know, did. in in one of my, um, you know, in, in all this research that I do for the dipshit files, and the research that I do for just my own curiosity and understanding. Um, it's the kids things that I have the hardest time with. Do you know, to this day, I still can't, um, I haven't looked into the, the Oklahoma city bombing Hmm. because when that happened, the daycare, I was a new, I was either a new mom or I was pregnant with my daughter. So 95, all I know is I was a new mom and I think I was either pregnant, which would have made it was it in October. No, uh, spring, April. Well, it was either I was pregnant with Brit or, um, Murrah building or she was, you know, just a handful of months old. Either way, I still, it's one of the big things I have not looked into and I was forced to look into, uh, Waco. Mm. Um, for research for something else, so it's when I worked for Time Suck and yeah. I had a, and I did uh, Columbine. Mm. That one was really, oh my gosh! I think we got a lot of letters for that one too. I will Time Suck. I will never ever forget Columbine yeah. um, because our son was shoot when the Columbine thing happened. I was visiting with my sister in law at the time in Colorado. Huh? In Colorado, yeah. I was up in Idaho Springs. And my boy was like four months old, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he was sitting in his little, uh, like, I don't know, this little rocker thing. And I was visiting with my sister-in-law and it came across as breaking news. And our, her son, Antonio's cousin, was four months older than him. So we had both our babies. We're just new moms. And both of us were just stuck to the TV, appalled. And when I found out that they thought that kids were being killed, I was like, gotta go. Because my sister-in-law wanted to watch it, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah. When it comes to kids, I don't know what it is, I can't. It's a weakness for me. Oh, so man. it's. Uh, I think most of us have that weakness, mm. too. Uh, most of the time sucks that dealt with kids mm-hmm. were rough weeks for research. Mm-hmm. And, and there was the Duncan case. Mm. I mean, didn't, uh, it's yeah. bad. And I actually looked into Andrew's Brevik on my own, mm-hmm. uh, just because that was just appalling. Mm-hmm. It was like seventy-seven, you know, mm-hmm. teenagers and stuff on an right. island. Uh, all that stuff, crazy. Mm-hmm. What people are willing to do to other people, and, and yeah, it's insane. This reminded me of something else too, because you're we talking about <clears throat> bombs in schools. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I was growing up, I was a kid in the '80s in elementary school, mm-hmm. and I knew he was actually a pretty good friend of mine. He would sneak into the school and he would uh like get into the rafters this the school had like an industrial kind of vibe to Mm -hmm. it and so you could really easily get into the rafters and fuck around and he would just like spy on people and he had was this this elementary school yeah he was just elementary school kid he was he was a little messed up at the time uh he he got better 
Uh, and I, I stayed friends with him and stuff, but I remember he, he got in a lot of trouble because mm. he was messing around with like pipe bombs and stuff like that. Oh, shit. And this was before that became a thing. Mm. You know, and the last thing that this story reminded me of was Columbine, where mm-hmm. the plan for those kids, uh, the, the two killers, mm-hmm. wanted to blow up the school. Yeah, they and, had and the... And it didn't uh, work. There was some, I think some explosion went off or... Yeah, they had propane tanks that yeah, they brought in. Yeah. It, it would have also been a pretty devastating thing. Mm. Their plan was, was different. So mm. uh, all that shit, man. Well, like, what, are, I don't, what is wrong We, we wake up in this people. simulation and it's like, hey, this person loves me. It's your mama. And you're like, oh, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, you wake up and every day from then, that point on, you're like, oh, and this exists too? Fuck. You know what? You know what I don't understand is there are individuals out there. I know life's hard. I it's know just that. Weird, yeah. I mean, and it gets really frustrating. Don't let it get you down, though, guys. It's, it gets, yeah. you know, it might get depressing. It might make you angry. Yeah. Bad shit happens. But why would any human want to take out a group of innocent people? Why children? Because it's what those people cared about the most. I, I mean, like I most, don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. How could you have so much hate inside of you and so much vitriol? that you would try and destroy an entire generation. You know, it's really interesting. That's right. This sure. this small town, um, I don't know what um, Bath is now, what the population is now, but I know at the time, off the top of my head, there was only, you know, several hundred, po- it was under a thousand people that lived in this town. Right. 200 and however many students that went to this school was the vast majority of the kids in that township. Yeah. He was trying to destroy an entire generation because if that school went down with all those students in there, very few kids would have been left over. I mean, who does shit like that? Dictators and awful. Yeah. Well, you know, if they just would have listened to him and did what he said, you know, everything would have been just fine. There's a lot of miniature versions of that. Makes me so mad. Yeah. Well, this was a fun ride. Yeah, sorry. Uh, how, just... do we, how do we bring it? Okay. <laughs> Happy Wednesday. Where's your phone? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Hold on. <laughs> I'm uh, sure. Uh, I'm sure it's still queued up because you would no. not. You wouldn't stop. I wouldn't do something like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Remember how I was a stupid dumb earlier? And now it's back again. FC. Uh, <laughs> palette cleanse. Is this the last time that we'll be reminded that I'm a moron? You'd think so, right? Oh my gosh. All right. Yeah. Nelly Palette Cleanse. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for listening. (laughs) Uh, This has been another very interesting Dipshit Files. Thank you, wife, for the lovely research, as always. Uh, You're always teaching us something every week. Well, thank you for listening. Dark one. Yeah, I know. Dark one. Where I do know. you find these things? You're like dark, dark, dark as fuck dot com. Uh, oh, here I'll work on my, my dark as fuck dot com file is is feet thick at this point. You know, you're not in any kind of crazy company. Like this whole country, this whole world is fascinated by this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I learned from Time Suck. It's mm-hmm. like the whole. It doesn't matter what background you're from. We're all fascinated mm-hmm. by what we do and. I don't know. When it comes to the crazy things, it's mm-hmm. just like we just need to know. <laughs> right, right. And well, even though this was this was terrible, but it's like, <clears throat> and it, it did happen in 1927. Yeah, you know, it's it's an old. But before I started the research for this, um, a couple of weeks ago, I I found it, stumbled across it. Before I started doing the research for this, I didn't know. You know, um, I keep thinking that you know these. Of course, they're 
they're more often now, but you get these school situations where your children are in danger, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's happening more and more. It seems like, or we just have uh, on-demand media that lets us know this stuff is happening. I'm not sure, um, but this stuff happened in 1927 yeah. when schoolhouses were still tiny little, you know, little schoolhouses spread out, little dotted buildings, and yeah. then they just started compiling them all in one location. So I think you know. human beings being safe from each other mm-hmm. uh, is new. I think the the default setting for human beings throughout history has been poverty, mm-hmm. suffering, mm-hmm. and danger. Yeah, and just in the last little bit of time, mm-hmm. have we been able to trust each other enough or build infrastructure strong enough to where we could force mm-hmm. each other to trust each other? Right. <laughs> uh, that was good enough to to be like, okay, the bears aren't coming in, and the right. and we can kind of protect each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We're just, we're living, it's funny because things seem pretty bad sometimes, mm-hmm. but we're still living in a time where we're s- we, yeah. we, our ancestors just dealt with such a degree, like mm-hmm. many degrees more of all the things that we fear. Mm-hmm. And so, well, you know, you know, I don't know why I'm going on a tangent I'm, about I'm that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I do uh, like the fact that, you know, you don't die from hangnails anymore. Right. That makes me. That well, you can still die happy. from there, like a busting your toe off. It's well, like, you know? it's very rare, but yeah, you could. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, thank you guys for listening. Yes, thank you. We've appreciated all of you guys listening for all this time. It's been such a fun year, mm-hmm. and uh, we look forward to many years, at least another year. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're looking forward to this year for sure. <laughs> One year in front of the other, right? But uh, uh-huh. yeah, and thank you uh, to all of you guys that support the show, mm-hmm. our trusted to triad. Uh, the Godhead and uh, the good, the garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. All of our friends there. Info at scatcast.com. Scatcast.com is where the merch is. Patreon.com. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. You, you get it. You, you guys get know it. All that you stuff. get it. You know. <sighs> I hope you guys have a wonderful Wednesday. Yeah. And I know this wasn't, you know, the best story to get your mind around having a wonderful Wednesday, but it's going to be the best Wednesday ever. Yeah. Damn it. Have a best Wednesday ever. <laughs> and as always, we'll talk at you in the future. And it'll seem like the present. Bye. Bye. <laughs> God. I mean, I just hammered my stupidity throughout the entirety of this program.